So, you want to be a contractor. Ever wonder what it takes to become a contractor? The journey they go on to get where they are now, or the crazy things they see and hear on the job site? Well, you're in the right spot. Welcome to So You Want to Be a Contractor, the podcast. Join your host, Mike Fisher, as he talks to owners of construction companies from all over about how they got started, how they run their business, and some of the craziest stories they've experienced on their job sites. And now, your host, Mike Fisher. Welcome to So You Want to Be a Contractor. This is episode number 23. My name is Mike Fisher. Our guest today, uh, Greg Westmoreland from Westmoreland Builders, the CEO out there in uh, South Lake, Texas. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you uh, taking the time here and, and joining us. We appreciate it. Um, so we, we get all these started by uh, your story. Let's, let's, let's hear your story. How did you get into this and how did you get to where you are today? Oh, that is a... That's a broad I know, question. It's a loaded question. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> sometimes um, we spend 45 minutes just on this question, which is perfectly okay. So just so you know, okay, we want it well, all. Uh, I'll start out with what someone told me one time early on is your career picks you eventually. So I'm going to start the summary of it is construction picked me. Uh, I've always that. been, uh, even as a teenager, fixing things, building things. You know, that was just, I always enjoyed it. And that's what I spent a lot of time doing, but went to school. I went to Texas A&M university and I have an engineering degree, even though they have a construction degree in a construction department, I didn't, for some reason, didn't pursue it. Uh, you know, my high school guidance counselor may will fault her. <laughs> um, but so I graduated and I went to work for a large engineering construction company called Brown and Root. Uh, they're in Houston. Uh, they've since been bought, sold. I think they're Keller, Kellogg Brown and Room now. Um, and I was working in their office doing engineering stuff, things like that. And a, you know, a opportunity came up to go on a construction site. And, you know, I said, you know what? I think I can do that. So I volunteered and packed my bags from Houston, Texas. And we, my wife and I moved to Northern Virginia and worked on a construction project there. And I just kept uh, volunteering. And then we went to California and worked on a project in Florida and worked on a project. Hopefully and, you're being paid yeah. for these volunteer jobs, right? Y yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't get a raise every time you volunteered, but eventually it did start paying off. So uh, before I knew it, I was full construction, no real engineering, you know, anymore. And just kept going my construction career after that, left Brown and Root at one point when we were in Florida and uh, moved back to Texas, which is where we're from. And my wife is from the Dallas area. So we came back to here and bounced around a few other construction companies here and there, got moved again, back and forth. But uh, about 15 years ago, uh, left the company I was with and was doing some consulting work in construction still. And, uh, some old clients called and say, hey, you know, if you want to keep going, put your team back together, you know, you can do this on your own. So took a leap of faith, uh, and started Westmoreland builders. And that was 15 years ago. And now we, we work coast to coast and different clients and 
we're in retail, we're in uh, quick serve restaurants, multifamily, light industrial, hospitality, convenience stores, a little bit of everything, just all over the place. Mm -hmm. So it's taken a long time to build it. Some ups and downs, um, you know, with the economy. You know, yeah, I, I, I'd like to say I'm unique, but you know, I'm not that unique. Where you know the tide rises all boats. So when the economy's good, I'm doing great. When it goes down, I try to not hit the bottom with everyone else. But <laughs> yeah, it's not that easy sometimes. So that's the uh, the short or the long version of my story of how I ended up in construction. It it chose me, and I just stuck with it. And sometimes I think I'm good at it. Yeah. So going back to when you made that decision to go from the office as an engineer to, to out in the field, what was, what was your role out in the field? What were you, I guess, asked to do, or what did you volunteer to do? And what was that? What was your role out there in the field when you were on those sites? Wow. Well, my first role, that is a good story. Um, I was, uh, they needed someone to run the night shift on a highway job just out of, um, Washington, D.C. It wasn't. (laughs) So what I would do is I would come in around two o'clock in the afternoon and we would blast through rock, through these mountains, the way we're going to build this highway. And then at night, these big trucks would come and load it out. So I was in charge of the blasting and the haul out crew for a long winter in Northern Virginia. Um, uh, yeah, I, seen rocks fly up in the air and land on sheds. And that was my other part. I was congenial enough. It's like, oh, Greg, go talk to that homeowner. We just destroyed their shed. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I'd go up and do that. And as that part finished, then I started, you know, getting more stuff. It's like, okay, Greg, can you be over this crew? And you know, it was an asphalt crew. It was, uh, putting up guardrail. It was the you know, I had an engineering degree, so I could understand most things. It's like, Greg, we need traffic signals put up. Can you figure out what this diagram is and make these things work? You know, so I just kept doing that kind of stuff. It turns out, you know, I, I sometimes to a detriment, but I ended up being the last person on the project because I just kept volunteering. And as I looked away, people were leaving and going to other projects. So <laughs> I finished that one up, closed it down. And they sent me to, uh, California outside Los Angeles on a terminal Island. If you've ever been there. Yes. I've driven them right there. Yeah. In Long Beach. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a, yeah. it was a big project and it was the same thing. I was the third person on site on the project and it was a couple of years. And I, on that one, I did everything from run the survey crew to the testing crew. I was a paint foreman for a while. I was over lifting plans for a while, inspected welds and same thing. I just kept volunteering. And finally I looked around and I was the last one there. <laughs> so, uh, well, it sounds like a lot from- of these roles are, are from a leadership standpoint, right? I mean, not necessarily that you knew all these trades more that you were just managing and, and, and making sure that things were efficient. I mean, was, was leadership part of who you were? In the past, was it a learned thing or where? You know, I've, uh, that, that's another good question. Um, yes, you know, I've always been a leader. Um, I'm going to say, um, you know, I didn't want to be, I'm a, mostly an introvert. So I, I never really volunteered to be the leader. I volunteered just to do things more as a servant leader, but you know, you end up, if you have leadership, you know, 
it comes out in you. So when I did a podcast a few weeks ago on that same question of, of leadership and every situation I've been in from college on, you know, you end up eventually being the leader. Now I'll let other people lead, you know, if I, if they want to and will, but you know, if it fails, I'll step up and do it. So, but I think, uh, to answer that question, yes, I think the people that kept moving me into the different positions saw the leadership in me, even when I didn't see it in myself, that I could manage my way through people. And then you're managing welders and you're managing painters, you know, so it's not, it's not the easiest thing to do to get, yep. you know, motivate people to do what you need them to do when the work is messy, smelly, hot, and uncomfortable. So I think you're onto something there that I was really being promoted up through as a leader, not because I knew how to paint because I didn't or how, knew how to <laughs> weld because I barely can. <laughs> but yes, I think that's a big part of it. And that's what, you know, I do more of now, you know, is right. try to lead people to even clients and everyone else on a project to get going what's supposed to be going. And that's really that's, what I've been yeah. doing the last 15 years. Kind of where I was going to roll with that, right, is, is rolling into something of your own. You, like you said, you may not be the best painter or the best welder or know how to do those things, but being a, a, a leader and, and being a little bit more natural at that, you find the right people and build that team and be able to, you know, kind of cl complete those projects. Uh, yeah, that's for the most part, that's how it works. You know, it, you see and a lot of people, you know, follow different people, you know, as their leader, but you, HR people will tell you, oh, the person quits the leader before they quit the job, you know, things like that. And there's probably some truth <laughs> to it. Uh, not as much now uh, after yeah. COVID and, you know, the current economy, you know, they quit because they, it's a better dollar sign somewhere. But right. uh, I think there's something to that, you know, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm never going to boast, say I'm a great leader. You'd have to ask other people, <laughs> you know, you willing to follow Greg into the Bernie building or. Like, no, I'm not doing that with you. <laughs> so going back to 15 years ago, I mean, obviously there was some outside influence, I guess, you know, somebody kind of pushing you a little bit to kind of make that jump. But what went into that decision-making process to, to go out on your own and, and make that leap of faith, like you said, um, to, to be on your own? Not near enough. Um, I can tell you that <laughs> if, uh. If I knew everything I know now, uh, all the risk I was going to end up taking, all the long nights, all the you know stress and everything that goes in between, well, I don't know if I'd have done it. But I had a really good friend. His name was Neil Heesh. Shout out to Neil. Uh, and he installed shower, uh, seamless showers. And he was had been on his own a while, and I was talking to him about it. And he said, "Greg, what's the worst that can happen? You have to go get another job." I was like, "Well, I guess that's true." So, yeah, uh, he he's the one who actually got me out of my own head and out of my own way to do it. And then, you know, the rest of it is just you know applied tenacity of you know never giving up. You know, it, it, accountants will tell you, "Oh, this isn't going to work. You're going to go broke in a year." I'm looking at this and that, and he was <laughs> like, "Yeah." If you listen to that, you'll get so twisted up. You'll never succeed. You just have to yep. truly, truly believe in yourself. And it took me a long time to get to that, that the decision that you're about to make, what you feel is right, is right. And believe in yourself that you're making the right decision and not listen to a lot of people that are 
trying to tell you it won't work. Right. That was my big leap of faith. Um, you know, would I do it again? Man, I don't know. I advise people to do it again all the time. I've got two or three companies, smaller companies that I've mentored their owner who used to work here and said, Hey, I want to have my own. Can you tell me how to do it? You know, and I try to give them the best wisdoms I can, but you know, I usually start that conversation with brace yourself. Uh, when you own your own business, the highs are high and the lows are low and you own everything in between all of it. Yep. <laughs> so be prepared to stress out on the lows and enjoy the highs, but don't get too comfortable because it's probably going to go back down. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. So from an operations standpoint, are you guys, do you guys hire employees? I, I, I would imagine coast to coast, you're probably more of a, a construction management type, uh, structure. Uh, by definition, yes, we would be more construction management. We have superintendents, traveling superintendents, construction gypsies, as I call them, you know, <laughs> they'll go anywhere. They like to live on per diem and, you know, get expense accounts. And we manage the project management and all the accounting, everything out of our central office here in Texas. And we send people out. We, uh, hire subcontractors locally for the most part. Some accounts that are smaller, I have some crews that go travel from spot to spot and take care of, you know, not any, not plumbing or electrical or anything like that, but setting cabinets and hanging doors and, you know, little stuff like that. And, and yeah. our superintendents are a little yeah. bit, they work some too. I wouldn't call them working superintendents. You know, anything past a cordless drill, paint roller, and a caulk gun. You probably need to find a sub to do, but you know, <laughs> I like them to have at least those three things. Yeah. And so are, are you guys from a hiring sub standpoint, I mean, being coast to coast and being so kind of all over the place, what does that vetting process look like for you? How are you guys, who's, who's responsible and what does that process look like when you're looking to bring somebody on as a sub? Uh, as far as, as subcontractors, you know, uh, Three years ago, I'd have given you an answer of, oh, we seek them out and we check them and we do everything we can to make sure they're stable and qualified. And now, um, the sub market is stretched so thin. It's the thinnest I've seen it in, you know, 25 plus years of you're lucky just to get a price from a subcontractor and then you're, you're managing them, micromanaging them to get them to perform and take care of the work. It's the sub market is so, so, so very weak right now. And I'm not sure if it's financial or labor or supply chain, you know, but all of them have an issue. You know, if you're a good, a uh, good friend of mine's a mechanical subcontractor and his backlog is bigger than it's ever been in his 30 years work having that company, I guess, but it's not because of a good thing. It's only because I can't get the units to put on the buildings to get actually the jobs going. So right. it's not. Like I have a bunch of work waiting on me. It's I've got a bunch of work backed up because I can't actually get to it. Uh, and then if you go to the real labor, heavy ones, concrete and things like that, they just can't find people to keep up with it. And you know, it, it's, it's very, it's, it's harder now to do construction than I've ever seen it. And it's, and it's not any more complicated. It's not any more technical than it's ever been. But it's just the shortages of labor and materials that are just totally straining 
uh, every project that I'm seeing out there. And it, I'll give you some examples. Uh, we finished three projects in the last six months or so, and there's a shortage of uh, GFCI breakers. For anyone listening that's not in the electrical world, that's ground fault circuit interrupter, I believe is what it stands for. So it's, it goes in wet conditions. You got a little push a little button on. That's the one. Well, there's breakers (laughs) that go in restaurants and things, convenience stores where that's internal to the panel. Well, those don't exist. You can't get them. So we have finished three projects completely. Everything's ready, but I can't turn it on because I don't have those breakers. You know, and that just lags and drags and everybody gets stressed and frustrated. And, but it's just little parts like that. You don't realize that if you don't get it, you cannot finish. And that's happening over and over. Now it's showing up in strange things, running out of glue to put FRP on the walls. Um, Just all kinds of stuff, glass and aluminum. And I had a client this morning, wanted a, to upgrade their warehouse space with air conditioning and things, but you know, cause it's hot this summer. I said, well, by the time those units get there, it'll be winter. So you won't have to worry about it because <laughs> they're about 18 maybe, weeks yeah. out. <laughs> maybe, maybe think about it for so, next summer. Cause you you're going to have to suffer this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And I, and I tell most, most people that contact me now, we do design build work as well. And they'll. Say, hey, Greg, I'm thinking about this. You know, we're thinking about this. Like, if you're even thinking about it, you need to find out where the, and I'll give them a list. These five things are, because if you, if you even think about it, order them now, because you're not going to have it once you've actually made up your mind. I mean, you can cancel yeah. the order and someone else will take it. So you're not a huge risk, but don't wait till you've made up your decision and done your drawings. Go, okay, let's go ahead and order the the Vena hood from captive air is they're about 20 weeks behind <laughs> now you're, insane, you won't, you won't right be now. happy with it. It really is. And it's, I don't know when it's going to get better. I don't see, I don't see a resolution on the horizon of people catching up. I don't see raw materials catching up to it. I don't see labor catching up to it for quite a while. And I don't know if this stuff's hung in China or, you know, what it is, but I do know the effects here and it's not good. Well, unfortunately, I, I mean, I think the, the way you catch up is the economy taking a turn for the worse to the point where, you know, new builds slow down and, and a lot of that stuff slows down, but that, I mean, that results in, you know, a lot of those smaller businesses closing up and, and we're, we're drying up, but then maybe you catch up. Unfortunately, that, that might be, uh, one of the ways that happens, but, um, not one of the good ones for sure. Yeah. A recession heals a few problems. Yeah. Yeah. But creates <laughs> others at the same time. Yeah. For sure. So what what led you guys to be so diversified? I mean, there's a lot of I guess contractors I've talked to that that you know maybe just specialize in the quick service or maybe just specialize in the in the small commercial and the light commercial stuff, but it sounds like you guys have um your hands in a little bit of everything. I mean, it, was that a was it, was that done with intention or is there, is there any, uh, decision-making process there? Mostly intention. Um, if you, if you do the math on 15 years, that's going to take you back to about 2007, which I don't know how old you are, Mike, but 2007 was not a good year to be not a starting a business. Yep. <laughs> so, 
Um, but I survived it. And we built at that time, we had two clients and they were banks and we built bank after bank. Yeah. And that's what we really got on. So when 2007 came around, you know, that market dried up really, really fast. Banks pulled all their money back, you know, because they were in the worst trouble. So I was, uh, so coming out of that, I decided, all right, we're going to diversify in markets, which is when we went into more retail and started adding quick serve restaurants, convenience stores. So, and that was a, you know, that's been over 10 years that we've done that. So we went into different markets and said, okay, if this market slows down, this market will pick up right now. Convenience stores is a very active market. Multifamily is yeah. a very active market. Yeah. Retail's not a very active market. You know, so that put us in a great position yeah. there. And we also said, we're going to, we're going to position ourselves to where we can move geographically. Now living in the great state of Texas, uh, you know, we have been insulated well from the last few downturns, you know, my area always keeps going. So re- a lot of our work is still in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, but then you know, we're also going to be able to move geographically. If one, you know, one area of the country gets into a slump, you know, we're able to go work in the other. So I went on a quest and got general contractors license in every state that was available and took all the tests and you know, did all that stuff to set that up. And, and it's really helped us too, with our clients as, you know, as we diversify those, they'll call and say, Hey, Greg, can you go to Arizona? It's like, yes, I can. Can you go to Utah? Yeah. Sure. And for example, right now we have a project in Glasdale, New York, uh, and another project in Bellevue, Washington, which, you know, Opposite, pretty much. Yeah. Total opposite sides of the country. We're in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're in Santa Fe, New Mexico, you know, but so, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. So we were able really to capitalize on, on that, which has given us a lot of stability, you know, as things move around, the economy goes up, down, markets change, uh, you know, Amazon takes over some other right right Except other business yeah <laughs> they're, they're trying to step on insurance right now too so i i feel you yeah, I know. I <laughs> they haven't and figured it, out how to make a, a burrito or a hamburger yet delivered <laughs> so i'm still a little safe there well that's what, i mean hey it sounds like obviously a smart decision right because it obviously is paying off but a lot of the uh people you're working for are national too right like you said the banks the quick serve restaurants the retail i mean they're in the, in the convenience stores, they're, they're all across the country. So if they know that you can go from state to state with them, that gives them a level of comfortability, especially if you're doing a good job for them to, you know, to be able to, and they don't have to find somebody else in that next state, but kind of along with that, it sounds like you did step one as far as finding the, the licenses and getting licensed and doing all those things, but there's still different, you know, regulations and legislation and, and code issues and all that kind of stuff from state to state. Is there somebody inside your company that's responsible for, Hey, we're going into Washington. Let's, let's get data on these things and make sure that we're, you know, you know, up to par on everything and, and, and knowledgeable of all the regulations and versus going into, you know, Kansas the next week is, is there somebody that kind of t- takes that for you? We do. Uh, uh, when a project comes in, comes in the door, uh, through our BD, you know, and marketing efforts. And as soon as we see the location, then we turn that over and say, okay, check, check what kind of license they require, check, you know, insurances and make sure we can work in that state. And we're registered in all the states. So we're pretty comfortable giving it cover, but 
every so often some state will have some sort of quirk, you know, for working there and you, you won't realize it and it'll catch you off guard. And then even they change quite a bit. I was going to say in California, yeah. I feel like they change every six months. Right. Yeah. So just cause you think, you know, it, you better right. check again right. because when you get there, they'll go, oh, that's new to me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. you did that, yeah. but they do now. So you have to start working backwards to get into it. But, but you're right. Most of our clients are corporate clients that are nationwide. So they, they know a little bit too about where they're going already. So yeah, it's not, up. you know, just point out. Now we do have clients just send us out there on our own, you know, say, we want this out there. Can you go do that? You know, and then we have to figure it all out. So right. Right. That's a little bit more difficult. So you talked about marketing a little bit. I'd have to imagine a lot of your businesses word of mouth, especially in that corporate, um, kind of, uh, business, but what are you, what are you guys doing from a marketing standpoint and, and how are you, I guess, generating new opportunities? We have a, we have an individual, uh, that that's, he's fully dedicated to that. And we have a, uh, a process where we, we identify first, what our ideal client looks like corporate repeat business, you know, large footprint, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he spends his day searching out those clients, making contact with their real estate department, making contact with their construction department through LinkedIn, you know, through Facebook, through Instagram, you know, so he's pinging them in every direction he can and sending out, seeing if there's connections, anybody know this person, you know, and he, gen he generates a lot of those connections and then he works with them until he gets us qualified and gets us on their list. So that's a lot of how our leads are generated and he's pretty good at it. We used to go to a lot of trade shows and that worked, but of course COVID killed yeah. you know, most of those. So we in house, he generates quite a bit of them, but the other part of it, you mentioned referrals, which is also huge to us a lot. We get a lot of referrals because since COVID came through, and now that the job market's so good, a lot of our construction managers on the client side switch jobs and companies all the time. So yeah. we're working with a guy over here at Mod Pizza, who's now over here at Voodoo Donut. You know, he calls us up, you know, he was over here at, at uh, Wendy's and he's now he's over here or convenience store people switch back and forth. So as long as you keep a good relationship and, you know, they like working with you and you, you, you do what you're supposed to do for them make them look good. One of our fundamental yeah. behaviors is make your client look like a hero. Next place they go, you know, say, Hey, come with me so we can, you know, make me look good over here. So I love that. that. We yeah, get no, referrals off yeah. of that too. Yeah. Maybe speak to that a little bit more. I love that mantra of make your client look like a hero. What's, where did that kind of come from? And what's the, what's the impetus behind that? And what does that look like for you guys uh, as a company? Well, we have 23 fundament, fundamental behaviors. Uh, 23 that, and we 20, yes, 23. Do you have a, do you have a <laughs> test uh, weekly to see who memorizes all of them? No, I don't even have them memorized and I wrote most <laughs> of them. Um, now what, wait, it's a system that we came up with not, uh, about two, three years ago. And it's just, we, we wrote them down and it's okay. If we do these things, you know, we are, we will find ourselves successful, you know, so. Uh, some of them I borrowed from Stephen Covey, you know, a lot of his stuff is in there cause I've read his, yeah. his books over the years and some are written around, uh, individuals that I wanted to 
do better. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote, wrote them around there, but you know, one of them is, uh, you know, make your client look like a hero and we talk about it and, you know, there's answer with completeness and, you know, honor this and you know, a lot of stuff like that. Um, it's not, uh, so much where you're going to find it like on the poster of a dentist appointment, you know, dentist office <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's pretty, pretty, pretty directed to our type of business. And what we do with it <clears throat> is each, uh, staff meeting that we have every two weeks, we switch it to the next one, you know, so at the beginning of that meeting, we'll say, all right, here's our new behavior, you know, talk about it, go around the room a little bit about, you know, what's it mean? Give an example of where it worked, you know, give an example where you should have done it. And then if there's ever a meeting of three or more Westmoreland Builders employees, you're supposed to start that meeting with whatever the current behavior is. Yeah, kind of think about it like a, a prayer before a meal. It's right. the behavior before the meeting sets the tone, you know, sets the agenda, you know, keeps it top well, of mind like, of where it's going. Yeah. And you're changing it every couple of weeks. So you got a new one that's kind of top of mind and, and hopefully kind of, uh, being ingrained over time, obviously, you know, all yeah. of them. I've been, I've been shocked at how applicable they are. <laughs> when you go to me, you're like that's you wrote perfect. Them. You're not supposed meeting. to be shocked. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're supposed to say, Maybe "Yep, so. this, this worked out absolutely perfectly, exactly as I planned." That is exactly <laughs> how I planned it. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I wish I could see the future that well, but no. Some, you know, they work out pretty good, and it helps. You know, and it 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 helps when correct people. I sent an email yeah. today of you know, requesting a response. And at the end of it, I put in, please answer in fundamental behavior, number 23 form. <laughs> That's and awesome. you'll, I'll get them. Even they'll yeah. come back to me and yeah. emails from people. Uh, Greg, please read fundamental behavior six and tell me what you want. <laughs> so, Cause they, awesome, they'll though. tell you I'm the worst at violating them sometimes, but <laughs> Well, but it sounds like I you guys have fun with them and you're really kind of committed to them. And that's the key, right? It doesn't matter what mm -hmm. it is, but from a culture standpoint, you got to just have everybody bought in and kind of committed to that, that process, whatever it is. Yeah. When, uh, when unemployment was different and, uh, we had access to more people, you know, we were pretty stringent. Like if you can't follow these behaviors and you continually yeah. step outside of them, even though, you know, we may love you, you may have a lot of good stuff, but you can't work here. Yeah. There's a place for yep. you out there, but it's not here. Not here. Now, yep. Right now we don't have that, you know, hope my employees don't listen to this for a little bit, but uh, <laughs> we don't have that luxury right now. Right. Right. Yeah. You gotta so be we able... have to work a lot harder to maintain the culture right now than we, than we have in the past because yeah, resources sure. are so s slim. Very, very true. Especially in this industry. Well, it sounds like from a, from a marketing standpoint, you guys got a grinder out there and he's doing awesome, you know, as far as, you know, kind of maintaining relationships for you. But as we're sitting here talking, I actually pull up your, your Instagram as well. And it seems like you guys are pretty active there. Is that, I mean, I have to imagine that's done with some sort of deliberateness and, and, and intention, um, behind being pretty active there. And are you seeing anything? What was the thought process for being as active as you are, as you guys are there? You know, uh, we track where all of our leads come from, and I can't say that we've gotten very many from social media platforms, but our Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn 
all tie together. In you know, every Monday, we have a discussion of what's going to be posted on Wednesday. It's Wednesdays at nine. And we'll go, okay, what job's finishing? Do we get a new client? Is there an achievement? Sometimes if you look on there, you'll see several fundamental behaviors posted on there. Yep. Um, you know, we'll post that. That's usually the first of the month uh, we use to post one of those. So I can't say that it's worked out that great as far as I can link direct. Hey, saw that post. I'd like to talk to you. But it is. it does get checked just like you did. Once you do meet us, they go back and look and they can see a little bit more of us. And it's, you know, word of mouth and people out there, of, uh, you know, I'm always... I'm a little surprised, you know, I'll run into someone here in town that I've known for a while. I was like, man, Greg, you look like you're all over the place. I've been watching your Facebook and, you know, you're doing this. So it helps, you know, quite a bit. I'm hoping it attracts, you know, helps employees. I think they look at it some or new yep. hires or prospective new hires at least and, and go back and look at it. So it promotes things, you know, um, is it a direct can I get a lot of direct positives to it? You know, a link A to B, not as much, but I like to think that it's out there and it, it's, you know, helping in other ways that we can't measure as well. Yeah. And that's the perfect, I, I think that's the perfect mindset, right? I, I mean, up a little bit, they're I'm still with you. Contractors, I think want to link so LinkedIn often. LinkedIn has been the, one of our uh, better know, ones. Investment to the uh, return that, on that investment. Really but I think with social media, a lot it's of one of those things where check us out on LinkedIn. you really, yeah, it's one of those things where you just really, I mean, it's, it's more of a branding thing than a, than a marketing thing, right? If you, if you think of them as two different buckets where marketing is supposed to bring you direct, you know, uh, response and, and, and business, whereas branding is more just, Hey, here's who we are. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Here's why we love doing it. And all those different things about, you know, kind of, uh, putting your name out there and making sure that you are you know, seen by people. And, and, and if nothing else, like you said, I think it does help quite a bit from a, from a hiring standpoint, right? Because there mm -hmm. is a generation of people that you're probably looking to hire right now, right inside that window that they live on Instagram, right? They live on social media and, and, uh, you know, being out there being seen and, and, you know, putting that stuff kind of stuff out there can only help you. I think. It does. Uh, you know, Facebook, my, my mother, sister, and aunt will always like and share, yep. <laughs> which yep. is nice. Yep. Only post something. <laughs> LinkedIn, uh, you know, real estate people and construction managers and, you know, directors of construction at corporate that I want to talk to, they look at LinkedIn. So Right, right. Yeah. It, it, it's two different a avenues out there. Yep, for sure. Yeah, no, but it's good kind of, kind of being everywhere, right? Kind of, kind of catching everything and doing it with intention, I think is important too, right? They, I mean, there are plenty of contractors that are on the platforms, which I applaud them, right? Because mm -hmm. four or five, six years ago, this was an afterthought for contractors in, in the construction industry. So the fact that more and more are getting into it, I, I love, um, but, but, you know, if step one is just being on the platform, step, step, step two is doing it with intention and, and being, uh, you know, aware enough that it has to be done pretty regularly. And, and you're not going to get phone calls and say, Hey, I just saw your post come do this $6 million job for me. Right. I mean, it's, it's yeah. more that when you do meet that, when, when your marketing guy brings in that new relationship and they say, Hey, yeah, we'd love for you to, you know, come, come take a look at this or bid this, or, you know, talk to us about doing this job. They've probably already checked all your social media. And that's the reason why you're, 
you're getting that phone call or, or, you know, maybe helped, um, you know, set that meeting because they've seen what you've done and, yeah. and how you do it. I think so. You know, five years ago or so, you know, that was what your website was supposed to do. Right. You, know, you gotta have a great website and it's gotta impress and this and that and really, you know, we monitor the metrics around our website, you know, the analytics that it provides and people go and get phone number and address, you know, yep. from the website, you know, they get real basics. It, they don't go to it and really want to know about your company, you know, off the website. You know, they, I think people move information. People expect it to move so much quickly, more quickly now than it ever has that, you know, they're not going to go click through a website. They want to see a, a post pop up on their feed, you know, and take it from there. So the, the next phase really in that is what we want to do is we're trying to move to where we're content experts. You know, instead of just posting, hey, look at us, you know, a, a nice touch, which everyone likes and will continue to do, but to where there's actual usable information about, yep, like we talked about, you know, you know, you need to order your rooftop units ahead and, and here's an article to read and here's, you know, to where it really gets to be more of a, a content and dialogue, you know, expert on some stuff. And I think that's our next phase in on those platforms, you know, but. Yeah. It takes a lot Be of able time. To show value. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always, I applaud, you know, the influencers and stuff on social media. Cause like, man, <laughs> how in the world do you have that much time to put content out there and do this? And I'm going to say even like a podcast, you know, I'd love to do something like this because I love podcasts. I probably listen to 10 plus a week, you know, on different things. So, but I can't imagine finding content over and over to keep one posted you know, week after week. So that, yeah, that would it, it be definitely takes an army. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the one man right here, but there are plenty of people behind the scenes that, uh, cause yeah, there's, like you said, there's no way I would be able to edit and clip and post and do all of, I've, I've, I've got definitely, uh, a team behind me that, that, uh, helps out with that because like you said, it is, yeah, I mean, it could be a full-time job in and of itself. Never, never mind oh, the job absolutely. that actually, never mind the job that actually pays me. Right. So, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, no, this is more the fun part, but yeah, the, the team is, is definitely helpful for sure. And mm -hmm. I love that you guys have seen that, that next step of the, the content creation, right? Because like you said, that, that is it, right? The, there was a time where just being out there and seeing pretty pictures and, and being in front of people was enough, but I feel like, like you said, kind of, everybody's kind of getting that right now and everybody's doing that right now, but if, if you can provide value and show worth and, and provide a little bit of content, like you said, around what you guys do. Uh, that's just that one extra step that, that makes you a little bit different than everybody else out there. And I love that. We're hoping it, we're hoping it produces more engagements than just clicks. Yep. So yep. that's what, that's our next phase on where we're going with our social media platforms and, you know, marketing that we go out there. The old school of printing up a, Threefold pamphlet and handing it out and business cards. That's <laughs> yeah, that died. Business, you're and right. Business cards have almost back. become irrelevant, right? I mean, oh, I've got a box in there that I've had yeah. for six years. I'll never give them yeah. out anymore. Yeah, and I that's don't crazy. want to. Yeah, if I hand someone a business card, it's like, oh, okay, but no, it's <laughs> I'm. We're pretty good about sending a you know a V card with an email. Yeah, yep. so make yep. it very easy to just click save and. Now you're connected forever. So, yeah, 
No, yeah, that's perfect. That, there's you, you have to be able to change very quickly there. You know, I, I spoke about podcasts a second ago and a couple of them I've listened to is one I was talking about COVID and the pandemic and you know, what 2020 looked like. And one of the conversations was that it accelerated eventual changes that we were going to make hundred uh, percent by 10 years in one year. You know, yep. uh, the virtual meetings, the, you know, the old school sales call, the old, uh, conferences and things like that, you know, all switched overnight and everybody likes it, you know, working from home, it accelerated that platform a decade overnight. Least, you know, now yeah. there's people that only work from home. Yeah. We're trying to develop our remote, uh, strategy right now. We have two or three people that work remotely, you know, they come to the office once a quarter, you know, for things. And we're really working on making that happen. We changed all of our platforms to cloud-based. So you could open up a laptop on the beach and, you know, be semi-productive. I'm not yeah, promoting right. that as remote working just yet, <laughs> <laughs> but it is possible. It is a well, possibility. I found for, yeah, it's almost those, those jobs that maybe don't have to happen between eight to five, right? Where you can be productive mm -hmm. outside of those hours, you almost become more productive, right? If, if you're a dedicated employee and you're not just somebody just trying to collect a paycheck, right? You can almost become more productive because if you've got a full setup at home, your kids go to bed, it's nine o'clock, there's nothing on TV, like you might as well sit at the computer and get a couple hours of work done, right? I mean, my wife does it all the time. We've got a setup right here. I mean, we both do, but I mean, she works probably two or three hours every night after kids go to bed just because she can mm -hmm. and she wants to get ahead and, and be productive. And and so if done correctly, and like you said, I mean, I think it sped up and, and, and forced people to change way faster than they were comfortable doing. But now you're at the point where everybody's comfortable and, and, and it's the new normal. And I, and I think, like you said, it's, it's not going away. It's definitely here to yeah. stay for sure. I had to change my philosophy on personnel, uh, over that time period. And, you know, it used to be, you know, I'm paying for 40 hours of your time. I would like 40 hours of your time <laughs> you know, where now it's, yeah. I t and I tell people as I interview them, like I'm paying for production and deliverables. You know, if you do that, you know, at home in a Starbucks or in this office, that's fantastic. Right. As long as I keep getting deliverables. Yeah. Uh, also, if you can do that in six hours, I'm so happy for you and I applaud you. That is fantastic. If it takes you 10 hours, I feel bad for you, but I still want but the same deliverables. Still, yep, still need them. <laughs> so I had to change that mindset. I'm not trading money for time anymore. I'm trading money for production. Yeah. And however that comes in, that's what I've got to be. That's how Which I have is to weird, right? Because success of a person. Yeah, because four years ago, you would have probably dealt with somebody who was in the office 40 hours a week and maybe not giving you everything that you thought that they could, right? Like, but, but they were in the office for 40 hours a week. So you, you probably would have just dealt with it and found a way to, you know, work around what they were able to do in those 40 hours and maybe push them a little bit. But, but now it's to the point where, like you said, I mean, just give me what I need, whether that's two hours, six hours or 12 hours. You know, I, I, we need what we need from you from a, from a production standpoint, mm -hmm. it's, 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 uh, it's a crazy yeah. mind shift. Yeah. My middle son, I have three sons. Uh, 
my middle son and his friends, he's 23, about to be 24. They've graduated in the COVID period, you know, missed their graduation, you know, so they very came out of very different, you know, workplace than we were ever used to. So I had a little, very hard time giving him any kind of wisdom, but they adapted very quickly. And, uh, a lot of them just travel around doing whatever they want. They were in Hawaii last week and they were all working, but as long as we have internet and our laptop, we can get on, do our work and then go enjoy, enjoy Hawaii. They've, you know, been to Mexico. They, they live, one of them lives in Seattle, but his office is in Pittsburgh. And they said, well, you don't have to come to the office. So he moved to where he wanted to live. Now companies are coming around and saying, okay, now it's time to come to the office. And they're pushing back. Of, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> that's not my, that's, uh, that's not, not my lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not my journey <laughs> that I want to go on. That's yeah. awesome. So, so what it, is the, what is the future? No, go ahead. You know, and it's great for states like California, where you are, like my oldest son, he works from home here in the Dallas Fort Worth area and for a California company. So they get, you know, uh, employee based on Texas wages and taxes yep. that are much lower than California's in the same level of production. So it really opens up the, uh, hiring pool to across the country to a so much more to where instead I, well, you know, he lives 30 miles away. He didn't want to drive in. It's like, you know, I can hire someone from anywhere at this point, you know, yep. if it's the right person and just have them work from where they are. So it, it oh, really there's exactly a great same side we, to it. Yeah. We went from two or 300 employees when I started about a year ago. And then when they, when they developed that, that work from home, uh, philosophy and that, that program, we're able to nail it down. I mean, they've, they've since hired all over the country. And I mean, now we've got, mm-hmm. you know, service staff that we never would have had access to before. Um, just because, you know, that is a, the, the philosophy of the company now, which like you said, it's only going to make people stronger if, as long as you can kind of manage it for sure. Mm-hmm. Very true. So what does the future look like for you guys? Where are you guys headed? I, I mean, obviously typically I ask geographically, but you're already everywhere. Um, but are there <laughs> new verticals you guys are looking to get into? Um, or new. We're starting out in a multifamily now. Okay. We have our first, first one starting up and, uh, I've got a call on a second one coming up. Apparently there's a shortage in that market. Uh, so I'm getting pulled into it through other relationships that go to it. So I think that's probably one of our next moves is probably multifamily moving into that a little bit more. Uh, retail is still declining. They don't build a lot of new retail right now and haven't in a year or so. Uh, We remodel some, you know, some of our big box clients where if when their lease comes up, we'll cut their space in half, put a demising wall up. And, you know, so they're reducing, you know, there's work in reducing as the same as there is expanding. So a little bit of that. So going into those different directions, convenience stores will still be good for a while. You know, stuff like that where it expands outward. This is what we're going to now, but some of our old stuff, maybe it'll come back one day. Yeah. Well, I think multifamily is a, is a whole, I mean, getting into anything residential is a whole different animal too. I mean, that's, I know from an insurance standpoint, a, a completely different nightmare than, than doing mm-hmm. some of the commercial spaces. So, um, should be an adventure either way. Right. But like you said, I, I, I've heard that as well, that there's a little bit of a shortage there. So there, there should be uh plenty to work and plenty of work rather. Mm-hmm. There is. And, uh, you know, that also plays into. Uh, the 
two, three story hotels, right. you know, that you see pop up on the side of the road all the time. They're, they're stick frame, you know, so it, multifamily and that's a, it's a very different type of contractor. You know, it's not yeah. structural steel and, you know, your old school, you know, brick and mortar type stuff. It's, but it's not also, it's not a home builder. It's a, right. it's a little bit right. different. So it's a very niche a that yep. I think we could do quite a bit in over the next few years once we get the right team figured out on how to travel around and do it. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, Greg, I appreciate it. This has been awesome. And I, uh, I thank you for your time, but before we let you go, we want to give you an opportunity to kind of let everybody know where to find you or how to get a hold of you or, uh, whether it's social media, websites, phone numbers, emails, whatever it is, um, that you're willing to give out, um, that people can get in touch with you guys. Well, uh, w-builders.com. That's our website and everything is on there. So you can find us, then start following us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and keep up with our adventure as we go across the country, trying to build things in different communities and make people's lives a little bit better, our employees and those for the places we build. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm following just so I can, uh, learn all the fundamental behaviors. I, I want to be an expert on all 20, 20, <laughs> well, you have to wait sure. month to month now. I'm not going to roll them out where you can just read them. <laughs> Greg, it's been awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And, uh, we look forward to following you and stay safe out there. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, sir. Yep. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening. If you had a good time, be sure to hit that subscribe button to get all the latest episodes. And if you had a really good time, leave a review to let us know what you thought. Until then, go gather some crazy stories on your job sites, and we'll see you next time on So, You Want to Be a Contractor. Contractor.